So our first reading this morning is from Psalm 39. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. And then some verses from 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. You know, an older uh, pastor once told me that if you want to connect with your congregation, preach on grief. See, grief and sadness and tears, they are all part of the human experience. We, it's something, these are things that we all experience. I know several of you have had your share of uh, grief recently, whether it has been a health diagnosis or broken dreams or surgeries or uh, the death of, uh, of someone in your family or loss of a different kind, loss of uh, independence or failing parents or whatever uh, it might be. I know that you have had those experiences as well. Our denomination is... Uh, We've, we've talked about uh, last week, this week, um, Mike mentioned it, um, has had its share of pain. Uh, we have recently divorced from one of our churches and two of our pastors. And that church and those pastors and the denomination are dealing with the pain of all of that. And if you are uh, currently not feeling that kind of pinch or pain or agony, you know that you will. I mean, come on, some of you are parents of teenagers. <laughs> Some of you are teenagers and you feel that kind of angst just because that's your place in life. And all of us are getting older. And so that is part of, of who we are. Um, hurt and brokenness and tears are part of the landscape that we experience this side of heaven. These songs of ascent then are helpful in these times. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And we don't know what, what tunes they were sung to. We can't just simply pick them up and immediately sing these songs. Um, but I think it is helpful, even if we can't sing these songs, it is helpful uh, to pray the psalms. Uh, the language of all of the psalms are, are so raw and real, and the experience is incredibly human. Uh, and when we get behind some of the cultural language, we see that they, the, the first uh, singers of these songs, they experience what we experience. And that is especially true when we experience tears. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 126. We're going to forego the slides this morning and have you just open up straight out uh, to Psalm 126. And while you are uh, flipping there, 
you'll notice that as you begin to read the very first verses of this psalm, you'll notice that this they don't start with tears. I mean, I've started with uh, talking about our human experience, but this psalm doesn't start with tears. It doesn't start in the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, it starts kind of on the mountaintop. They are remembering uh, the goodness of God. In fact, this is not a lament psalm like so many of the psalms are. Um, this is a song about joy. But I wanted to read this uh, and, and take a look at this this morning because I want you to see where the deep joy comes from. The deep joy. So, verse 1, uh, Psalm 126. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We were like those who dreamed. Now, um, uh, commentators don't know exactly what it is that uh, the psalmist is talking about here. Very likely, it is a psalm that has been written and sung as the exiles come back to Jerusalem. And now their fortunes of uh, this city that has been their identity, this God who has been... uh, Theirs is now restoring the fortunes that has uh, have been long forgotten for decades and decades. And now they are singing this song as they come up uh, into uh, Jerusalem. It's very possible. It says, uh, their mouths are, our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Uh, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with with joy, there is singing, there is happiness, there is uh, a restoration of that which was lost. But now we get to verse four, and something changes. The whole thing turns on a dime. The psalm that was talking about restoration and joy and all of this somehow has changed. Their experience isn't that. And we read, "Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev." Now, um, the Negev was, uh, was, a, was a desert. It was a barren, terrible desert. And so you're thinking, well, what is it? What the, what's the experience that they, uh, that they are having that they are, that they are asking for streams to run in this terrible, terrible landscape? I mean, is it, is it a famine? Is it a plague? Is it a military defeat? What is it? But whatever it is, there is brokenness and tears and, and, and thinness in their experience. And the cry is for a restored joy and a deliverance from desert living. They're looking for salve to place on their wounds in some way, shape, or form. Well, some years ago, um, Pastor Tim Keller preached a sermon on this, and he had three points that I think are very helpful. I've kind of retooled them for our purposes, but um, I think uh, they're pretty helpful. Um, He says this, that we, we we should expect tears, that we should sow our tears and we should pray our tears. And out of that comes true joy, comes deep joy. So first of all, um, where we started, we should expect tears. You should, you should expect your tears. I was, uh, I was given a book recently um, on why uh, the prosperity gospel is a house of cards. If you don't know what the prosperity gospel is, um, turn on the TV late at night and watch some of these preachers uh, talk about how the financial success and physical well-being, that those things are always, always the will of God 
for Christians. <coughs> and so they'll preach that and write about these things, that, that faith and positive thoughts and donations to religious causes, uh, that they will assure you of those truths, financial success and um, physical well-being. Now, we can be critical of, of that kind of theology, but I think in a lot of ways, many of us have our own sort of little personal gospels as well. We say things like, well, the goal for me is to be empowered to do what I need to do so that I feel good about myself. Or we say, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm good enough, then God won't let this bad thing happen to me. But <coughs> notice, if you go back to the psalm um, real quick, you notice that in verse 4, something has gone wrong. Something is bad. Something is... Um, they're experiencing a bitterness of life. And you notice there's no repentance. There's no asking for forgiveness. Um, they haven't done anything wrong. So it wasn't like, well, they did something wrong, so now we're experiencing the punishment for it. No, no, no. Something has simply happened. Experience, a circumstance, a weather, a military, whatever it is, something is experienced. Not anything that they have necessarily done wrong. I think Christians are wrong to think that nothing bad can ever touch you, can ever, uh, can ever happen to you when you follow Jesus. And in fact, becoming a person of faith very well might lead you to weep more. Um, so weep more about the sin, for instance, that keeps us from God. Um, um, or more weeping because the enemy is aligned against you. The enemy does not want you to succeed. The enemy does not want, unless it distracts you from the Lord. The enemy does not want you uh, continuing to uh, do the Lord's work. And so there might be tears that come from that. There might be more valleys because, let's be honest, walking, honestly, walking by faith, it is a hard thing to really do, to walk out their faith. Or maybe even... Uh, there might be more weeping, uh, more difficulty, just because of the ridicule that we get for following Christ, being so simple-minded as you all Christians are, right? And there might be more weeping because you see the sin and the brokenness in the world around you, and it breaks your heart, and you can't help but be moved to do something, anything, to walk with people who are also broken, you see, as you grow in grace, you very well may weep more. I mean, just think about Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we say. Jesus had a perfect human heart, and he was always crying. In talking in uh, the prophecy, talking about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, we know that the Messiah, Jesus, was a man of sorrows. That he was acquainted with grief. <clears throat> so, Expect your tears. Secondly, we're invited to sow our tears. Verse 5, it says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. It goes on to say, Those who, are, who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So I don't know how you spent your uh, 4th of July. Uh, maybe it was picnics or being with family. or I spent it on the tractor cutting our field, uh, you know, for our horses. We don't, have, uh, we don't have crops or anything like that, but I was out uh, in the field, cutting the field, sweating. 
very profusely. Um, glad you all didn't come over. Uh, but all around me are all kinds of plants, corn and beans and, 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 and all manner of things. And you know, how, you know how this works, right? Farmers go out and they prepare their soil. They dig up the soil, they fertilize the soil, uh, they put seeds in the ground, and then they sow them. In the case of our field, when we, put so, when we put seeds in the ground, we rake them into the ground over and over and over again, passes with the tractor, uh, to make sure that that seed got sowed into the ground so that when the rains came, they would actually produce the, the pasture that we were looking for. Uh, your gardens... Maybe you, uh, or your potted plants, you, you take a seed, you put it in the soil, you dig a hole, put the, uh, the seed in the hole, then you cover it back up, you sow the seed. And eventually those things grow, and vegetables grow, and the hay grows, and it's cut, and it's given uh, to the livestock. But here, um, the psalmist is talking about sowing with tears. Now the image there could be that they were, he's thinking about actually sowing the actual tears, or he is watering the seed that has been sowed with the tears. Either way, it's supposed to evoke uh, some sort of response. See, in order to plant your tears, you must sow them. You can't just you can't just sit on them or throw them out. So you know you're Minnesotans, right? And so there's this whole Minnesota knife thing. There's a kind of a uh, a Scandinavian influence in Minnesota. And oftentimes when you feel something or you feel tears, what do you do? You stuff them. You say, no, everything's fine. Yes, you do this, okay? But if you're a little bit more Scottish, like me, you might do something a little bit different. You might just toss them out over everybody. <laughs> it happens. It tends to happen in our house. Um, but neither of those are what I'm talking about when I say sowing seeds, sowing tears. Um, in fact, it wouldn't work with seeds either. When you have seeds, you can't just leave them, stuff them in the sack, in, in the garage, or in the barn. And you surely wouldn't just simply go out and just throw the seeds wherever they might go without actually sowing them. It doesn't work that way, right? The same way you don't stuff them, you don't, you don't just throw them all out over everybody. You actually sow them. Um, we need to see our tears as an opportunity for growth. We don't want to waste the sorrows that we do have. So we think about farmers. You might say that they invest in the soil. Um, they put seed in the soil, right? Uh, and, they, and, and then it yields profit. Investing means finding a place to put your finances, and then uh, you, they send it out, it gets invested in other places, and that brings in a refund. Well, in this case, sowing tears, the psalmist says, leads to a yield of joy. Tears give way to joy. This is why uh, David writes in Psalm 30, um, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. He continues, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. <clears throat> if you plant the tears, says the psalmist, they will produce joy. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 when he is saying that the, the, the things that we experience now, the difficulty, the tears, are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. 
bringing a harvest of joy in our lives that we could never imagine. The kind of joy, he says, is the kind of joy you really need comes through tears. Now, there is a kind of joy or happiness, you might say, that doesn't come through tears, but it doesn't sustain you. As Eugene Peterson writes, a common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve endings. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. And then try to lighten the boredom of life, of such a life, by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. He writes, there isn't a hint of that in Psalm 126. Where you can expect tears as a follower of Jesus. But we're invited also to sow our tears. And we do that, I think, by praying our tears. All of the, all the Psalms are prayers, and they come before God with every kind of emotion, every kind of feeling. I mean, you can't, you can't make your way through the Psalms and not see the passion and the feeling that is in, in the words of these Psalms. And in this case, it's tears. And as those tears are sown, this transforms the tears and it transforms the weeper. Now, praying our tears involves sowing in certain kinds of soil, you might say. That is, the story of Jesus Christ, the heart of God, the grace of Jesus on the cross, and the promise of eternal life. We're sowing into this bigger story as we cry, as we, uh, as we experience pain. And you have to understand that God understands our weeping. I uh, <clears throat> had Debbie read from... Psalm 39 uh, this morning, the last two verses in Psalm 39. Now, I'm going to read these again, and I want you to see if there's not something a little bit different about these verses as opposed to some of the other endings of the Psalms uh, throughout. <clears throat> these are, uh, again, David's words. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to, do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and I am no more. Now, as I mentioned, all of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, are, are real wrestling and weeping and crying over the experiences that, that he has. But most of the Psalms end with a note of triumph, of trust, of confidence, or of peace and in, in who God is and how, and how he gives. I mean, take a look, for instance, at Psalm 16 or 17 this afternoon. These are psalms of lament. And how do they end? They end with confidence and trust and peace in, in who God is, but not this one. Not this one. He is saying just the opposite. He's saying, turn away from me so I will have at least a little bit of peace before I die. And you're like, what is, what is going on here? This is in my Bible. How, how can this be? I mean, it, it's sort of the opposite of what we should be saying about God. We know life is hard, but, oh, I know that there's peace. I have confidence in you. And that's not what David is saying here. It shouldn't be like this, but, it, but it's here. I would say that this psalm, uh, Psalm 39, is a lot like um, David's, I'm sorry, uh, Peter's uh, response to Jesus. They're out fishing, Luke chapter 5. They're out fishing, and uh, Jesus calls from the, 
from the shore, says, put your net over the other side. And Peter's like, ah, no. I, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He does, pulls in this huge, you know, uh, haul of fish. And he goes ashore and he, he can't stand in Jesus' presence. And he says, he says Jesus, depart from me. He, he is confronted with his pride. And he says, just, just be gone. Be, just go away from me. And you look, at, you look at scenarios like that, and the very presence of these kind of prayers, these kind of statements, I think, is a witness to the fact that God understands how we feel when we're desperate. God can handle this. He can handle this kind of emotion. Remember, God knows what it feels like to give up his only son. He, he knows what it's like to, to give up himself. Your tears, your hurts do not belong in some managed, packaged, manicured, confessional prayer. They should be expressed in the pre-reflected outbursts from the depth of your being and the presence of God. He is safe. He can handle this kind of emotion. <laughs> you have to understand this grace that he has given to us. The abundance of grace that he offers us. Otherwise, you won't do that kind of work in his presence. You just won't. We have to sow our tears in an understanding of this bigger story, of who God is and what he did for us on the cross. Do you know that we have the only religion in which God comes to us? In all other religions, we say we need to be obedient to God. We need to serve God. Because would, and because of that, then we say that God would then come to us. No. In our, in our in Christianity, God sees our need and comes to us. And Jesus, in the garden, prays for release from what he is about to experience, what he is about to experience on the cross, but no help ever came. No release ever came. From the cross, he cried for the Father, and God didn't come. Jesus took the abandonment of God so you never have to experience that kind of of abandonment from God. His tears produce, produce the joy of our welcome into the kingdom of God. And so when you step to the table, I, wanna, I, want you to, I wanna invite you to look at him taking this abandonment for you, taking these sins, uh, the guilt, the shame for you. Even though at times you feel like God is abandoning you, he is not. He went to the cross for you. He sowed his tears in the will of the Father so that they would produce for you an eternity of joy. An eternity of joy. When you sow, you sow your tears by dropping them into the story, this big, huge, massive story. The story that has with it, for those who believe, a promise of salvation, a promise of eternal life. This is why the psalmist writes, at the very end, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. <clears throat> you sow these seeds in the midst of this greater story. That kind of, as the psalmist says, that kind of tear, those kind of tears, that kind of brokenness lasts for the night, but joy comes with the morning an eternal morning, an eternal dawn, an eternal day in which we will experience only joy in Christ. Eugene Peterson points out that the last few psalms 
of the book of Psalms are all psalms of praise because, as he writes, all true prayer pursued far enough ends up in praise. It doesn't always get there quickly. It might take a lifetime, but it always arrives there. He's pointing to the certainty that we have in Christ for eternity. Do you know that joy? Do you know that joy that is inevitably uh, coming for those who believe? Sometimes in, in our grief and sometimes in our, in our tears, we say, this is never going to get any better, ever. Even C.S. Lewis, when he was experiencing uh, the loss of his, of his wife, he said, no one told me that grief was so much like fear. He was afraid he would never stop being sad. He would never stop crying. But when we sow our tears in this bigger story, this eternal story, we understand that we will be him with him forever. And as we weep, we sow our tears in that reality, that bigger story. I was given a gift uh, last week, a gift of a visit. Uh, a sister of ours in Christ came to visit me, and she wanted to uh, share with me uh, her story and encourage me a little bit. And as she began to share this remarkable story of, uh, of childhood and uh, moving from the south up to uh, uh, the Midwest and then eventually to Minnesota, she told me about uh, a number of things that uh, the ways in which her body is just failing her, uh, the pain and the things with her back and, and some uh, chronic fatigue and, and um all manner of other things. And as uh, the list of these things kind of went on and on, she began to giggle. She began to giggle. And that giggle gave way to a full-on belly laugh. <clears throat> and she said to me, God is so good. God is so good to me. She began to relate how God knows her and how she knows God and what God has in store for her. And I was so blessed. I was so blessed because this is joy. This is joy sown in the soil of God's grace, the cross of Christ, and the certainty of an eternity spent with him. That, my friends, is what it looks like. And it is great beauty. And I was greatly encouraged. You see, joy is not a requirement of Christians. It is the result of sowing the tears that are part of the human experience. Tears prayed, released, and expressed into the soil of who God is and what He has done. See, true joy comes not from feeling good about ourselves, but about God. This is not something that we do, but something that God does. Joy comes because God knows how to receive our tears and turn them through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit into songs of joy. Yes, as followers of Christ, you can expect tears. You can expect your tears. But I want to encourage you to sow your tears by praying your tears into the bigger story of God. And as you do, I know that you will know 
But my new friend knows and has known for some time that while joy lasts during the night, I mean, while while, uh, mourning lasts only during the night, joy comes in the morning. 